I'm Cassidy Hall. I am Kevin Johnson. I'm Carl McCollman, and we are Encountering Silence. Encountering Silence is made possible by listeners like you. Please visit www.patreon.com slash encountering silence. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash encountering silence to learn how you can be part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all-too-noisy world. It's a hot August day here in Atlanta, Georgia, and Kevin and Cassidy assure me that it's plenty warm where they are as well in Connecticut and California. So for today's episode, we thought we would talk about silence in the summertime. And I imagine what that really means is we're just going to kind of talk a little bit about where we are encountering silence in our lives, maybe talk about a book or two that we're reading or what's happening in our silence practice. So my friends, which one of you wants to jump in first and share your, um, your story of silence in the summertime? You know, summertime is, it's such a paradox, right? It's, it's hectic, but we're told it's vacation time. It's very confusing, especially for those of us that have jobs that don't stop and have children and, and all kinds of things going on. And one of the one of the phrases that I've I've really enjoyed to kind of try to describe this time is it's about poetry. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of trying to look at my summer as a poem. And Mary Oliver talks about wanting every poem to rest in intensity. And so just kind of navigating this summer for me as a rest in intensity is bizarre. But I'm finding that my body is just, my body keeps moving forward. My body keeps doing what I need to do, despite my head and my heart saying, this is a lot, being overwhelmed, et cetera. And I think it's, you know, it's still, of course, important to find that, that rest within the intensity that we're experiencing um, and that silence. But yeah, I, I'd really like to read this, this paragraph. It's from Mary Oliver's Winter Hours. And she says, years ago, I set three rules for myself. Every poem I write, I said, must have a genuine body. It must have a sincere energy, and it must have a spiritual purpose. If a poem to my mind failed any one of these categories, it was rebuked and redone or discarded. Over the 40 or so years during which writing poems has been my primary activity, I have added other consents, and this is, this is where she goes in to say, I want every poem to rest in intensity. I want it to be rich with pictures of the world. I want it to carry threads from the perceptually felt world to the intellectual world. I want each poem to indicate a life lived with intelligence, patience, passion, and whimsy. Not my life, not necessarily, but the life of my formal self, the writer. I want the poem to ask something, and at its best moments, I want the question to remain unanswered, which we all, we're all familiar with that. But yeah, this resting in intensity has been been a thought I've been clinging to as just keep moving forward, just keep plugging away, but finding those pauses that often become shorter in times like this, that often become just the gaze out the window or just the long stare into the coffee cup. Mm. Wow. 
So, Kevin, how are you dancing with intensity these days? And how is silence walking with you? Well, it, it's been a, a really a strange summer for me as well. As I, I echo a lot of what Cassidy has to say, that the summer supposed to be vacation or something that, that's programmed into us since we're little kids and you get your summer break and, and, and carry it over. And I, I work in the academy enough, you know, university setting enough and still keep my hand in that enough that it, summer is supposed to feel like my time off. And, and yet that, that's so not the case uh, because I'm home and now the kids are home with me and anybody who's home with kids recognizes that doesn't feel like a vacation if you're there all the time with them. And you wonder when can you send them back to school? <laughs> Even <laughs> as much as you love them, you say, "Oh man, I need some break." And you know, and it is. It's tough. I find uh, this year is very poignant for me because uh, my uh, my oldest daughter is going away to college uh, and starting in the fall, and so there's a sense that I don't want the summer to end because there's going to be a, a dramatic shift in the family, and it's a it's going to be a wonderful thing. Actually, I, I'm kind of anticipating that with kind of joy. But I'm also kind of scared at the same time of what that looks like and what that means. And to start renegotiating what it means to be a parent in that setting. And so there's a lot of turmoil when it comes to that. But at the same time, it's really funny is for months, you know, here we are doing this Encountering Silence podcast and we talk about it and we interview people and it's something important. And my silence practice for a long time kind of fell away. I was just so busy. I was spending more time talking about silence than actually doing it. And in the last couple of weeks, actually, my silence has come back in force, very strong, which is good and bad because <laughs> in the middle of this change and this poignancy of what's happening and, and a lot of negotiation of what's happening over here, the silence really stirs up a lot. And so it helps me find a balance and a rhythm, but it also kind of doesn't allow me to run away from the fear or the joy or anything else. It's right there in my face. So as Cassidy's talking about this kind of intensity, the intensity has been screaming at me. And again, as Cassidy said, the body work for me is really important. I've been doing a lot of walking and I've been spending a lot of time outdoors. And there's something about the heat outdoors and the sun on my skin that has really been communicating to me very differently and kind of, I don't know, almost as if a, a friend was kind of like holding their hand on your head and saying, it's okay. Um, there's been a weird, a weird interaction with the world lately, very intense, physical, sensual kind of relationship with the world. Uh, the smells, the colors, the tastes have really kind of popped for me this year. And it's, uh, it's, it's been kind of overwhelming. So, so I, love, I love that idea, Kevin, of like a, a presence in the heat. Yeah, yeah. You know, I love that idea of like a, a hand. So it's just Ooh. so strange because I, I think overwhelm is really what it feels like on some level. It's intense. I, I really like the word that you said, intense. And yeah, I've been okay generally hanging with that overwhelm and not getting panicked with it. it but it's, but I can feel the fingers of panic on the edges wanting so hard to want to dig in and grab mm. me. And, uh, and I don't want to resist that feeling, but I also am really terrified about if those fingers get a hold <laughs> and I, I can imagine the panic that will, 
that will that will come bursting forth. And so it's been like walking a tightrope. It's been a very intense summer for me and a lot of great, I, I wouldn't change it at all. I actually enjoy it, but it's scary as all get out. And it's not been, I wouldn't call it fun. <laughs> well, I want to respond to both of you. And yes, this this idea of intensity and overwhelm you know, it's interesting, Kevin, that you're you're facing this kind of change in your family dynamic with your daughter going away to college. I've just gone through a similar transition in that my wife just retired from the job that she held for almost 30 years and um, is now embracing the full-time life of being an artist. She's She's been a part-time artist as long as I've known her, but is... Um, is really kind of just going into it gung-ho. In fact, I know before we started recording, she popped in here and showed you guys some of these hand-painted silk scarves that she's doing, and of course she does photography. And she's just, she's this, you know, oozing fount of creativity, and it's really wonderful to see her just, you know, embracing that. And of course, it's been a joy for me having her here full-time in the house, where it has been. I've been working here alone, especially since my daughter died for the past four years. So that's that's been fun. But But for me, the intensity, and I guess the overwhelm as well, is that I'm finishing a book. And that is always a very difficult time for me. There's, it's the most tired metaphor in the world that writing a book is like is like having a baby. And for men, that's kind of a weird metaphor anyways. But, <laughs> but you know, there's certainly, you know, the finishing the book is, is definitely kind of labor pains because, <laughs> you know, you're pushing up <laughs> against the deadline and, and there's so many things that you want to do and you don't have enough time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that it's been a challenge, but but I want to touch on two ways that silence has been walking along with me. Well, three ways. First, I you know I have my daily silent practice, but what happens to me in times of intensity or overwhelm is that the quality of the silence kind of takes a hit, and that's certainly been true the last few weeks. So I struggle simply simply to be silent, even though I've set aside you know twenty minutes or so for silence. And, and that, you know, and I'm, I've been doing it long enough now that I'm, I'm generally pretty kind of philosophical about it. And it's like, oh yeah, you know, I, I jokingly call it a bad prayer day. You know, it's like, well, you know, today I, I really had a difficult time just finding, finding my, finding my moment of silence, but hopefully tomorrow will be better. But again, it's funny because even though my, my daily practice is kind of in a, in a rough spot these days, I had these two other really wonderful blessings, and one of them does very much involve the body, kind of, you know, bouncing off of Kevin. And that is that, you know, since Fran retired, she and I are doing yoga classes twice a week. And we are newcomers to yoga. I'm sure that, the, you know, people that, that listen to this podcast maybe have been doing yoga for 30 or 40 years, and I bow before you in awe. But for us, this is kind of a new venture. But even in just a few months, I already am feeling more limber. And and I would even say my my meditation probably is better than it would otherwise be. So, you know, so that's a beautiful thing. But but even in the context of the class, you know, and, and with the instructor kind of leading us through the various asanas, I'm still touching silence with with a, a real kind of sweetness. And so that's that's just been a tremendous gift. And then the other gift for me is that back in the spring, I really made a commitment to be more intentional about writing poetry. So I want to share with you one I just wrote the other day, if it's okay. It's called The Alligators. 
Walking along a verdant street, I saw eight alligators in a row, parked like vans at a school waiting to pick up their children. Everyone who was walking on the street oohed and awed and crowded around to see this long, lizardly display of sinew and power. Two of the gators broke rank and came over like puppies, hoping for a treat. A little girl ran up to them and began to scratch one on the back of its head. I was worried for her, but no one else seemed to mind. I tried to take a picture of the six remaining alligators sitting there in a line between the edge of the pavement and the embankment to the creek where, I suppose, all the gators lived. But before I get my phone ready to snap the evidence of this miracle I had seen, one of the gators turned and lumbered up to me eagerly like it was looking for a treat. And I recoiled, afraid of this reptilian power. Still, it pursued me, and with its mouth, it grabbed a bag hanging from my left arm, for I had just been shopping, and there was a book or something inside. This isn't food, I thought, annoyed, and tugged at the bag, but Mr. Gator wouldn't let go. I thought this could get dangerous, but I stood my ground, unwilling to surrender that merchandise of mine. This was all a dream, you see. There were no alligators, no little girl, no tree-covered street or ooing and awing, no tense encounter between man and reptile, except in the cinema of my dreams. But was it still a miracle? I rather think so. Isn't dreaming a miracle? Aren't reptiles a miracle? Isn't even the capacity to feel afraid a sign of wonder? So many hints of heaven abound and surround us each day and each night. Sometimes we want to take a picture rather than simply be there. Sometimes we're too busy protecting our stuff. Sometimes we act foolishly and it gets dangerous. And far too many times, far, far too many times, we simply ignore the miracle and keep on walking down the street. But that doesn't mean the miracle doesn't happen. It does. The alligators are waiting for the one who has eyes to see. That was beautiful, Carl. Thank you for sharing that. And that's literally a rough draft. It may change before it eventually gets published. But, but hey, Encountering Silence listeners, you heard it first in its unvarnished uh, alligatory form. So um, <laughs> this is what I've been doing. Now, not all the poems I'm writing, but, but many of the poems I'm writing are just coming out of my dreams. So I had this dream about alligators and, and this little girl was scratching one's head like it was a puppy dog and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's my poem. So it's, you know, what's been beautiful about it is that I write professionally, but I'm writing poetry for joy. Hmm. And I think this is thing that I think anyone who does creative work, especially professional creative work, I think that it's easy to lose the silence in our creative work. And to get lost in deadlines and to get lost in contracts and in negotiating the best price and all of those things that comes with, with, with work. And so it's been a real joy for me to, to do something creative that is just a relationship between me and the blank page and, and the silence in my heart. And then to just see what happens. So it's, it's just been a gift. I like the interesting, like you said, the 
relationship between you, your heart, the page. Uh, Creativity is a great space, that liminal space where silence and words can meet. It doesn't have to be a formal practice. This idea oftentimes that we feel like I'm not getting my silence in because I didn't sit, sit down and pray or meditate or I didn't do my yoga or whatever. But this, there's all this silence here in this creative moment and, you know, and, and listening to the joy of you just creating something, there's all that silence there, you know, and we ignore it. We push that away like, oh, I'm not doing silence. Oh, oh, I'm, oh, I'm having, you know, like I'm thinking to myself, this is me mocking me. Oh, I'm having such a tough time this summer. Oh, there's no silence. Oh, you know, and it's like, what are you talking about? The whole place is just saturated with silence. Yeah. And even, I mean, so often so many of us that want to have a silence practice or are trying to go so quickly to beat ourselves up when it's like, Hey, were you in the car at any point today and turned off the radio for a period of time? Right. Even if it was 30 seconds. Right. Did you do that? Mm-hmm. You, you did silence. Did you, you know, walk the dog? You, right. You did silence. Did you write a poem? You did silence, you know, and just finding the different ways where we meet silence. I do think it's important to, to navigate what your particular rhythm is to mm-hmm. engage with and meet silence. But you know, in these busy, hectic times, I think it is important to give ourselves a break and to recognize um, where those small moments do, where we do steal those small moments of silence. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I agree with you, Cassie. So we have to give ourselves breaks and, and we have to figure out how to give, to be gentle with ourselves. The moments of silence can be just sharing a beer with a friend. If, if you really are there, and, you know, you're not cheers. lost. <laughs> cheers. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you're really there and it's not, you know the difference between the times when you're running away from something and you're using the time with your friend and the beer as an escape and it's noisy. But you also know the time when that beer or that glass of wine or, you know, grabbing a couple of a, a box of popcorn or whatever with your friend is silence. Yeah. You know the times, you know the difference. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Just that, that kind of internal check-in of being there to be there. Right. And, um, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. I'm reminded of a book that Chignon Han wrote. You know, he's, he's famous for the book Peace is Every Step. Well, then he wrote a sequel to that, or I guess a follow-up book called Peace is Every Breath. Mm. Mm. And I think that we're saying silence is every breath. Mm. And sometimes we're not paying much attention to the silence. We're ignoring the alligators. But other times we do by, by grace or by intention. And it's usually some combination of the two. Right. We, we, are, we are brought back into that the silence is always there. And the question is, is, you know, to what extent are we listening to it or are we listening to whatever else is going on? Our conversation will return after this brief moment of silence. Please take a breath and be present in the silence.
So I have two more questions. And so the first, what are we reading this summer? <laughs> Cassidy, are you willing to, to share your sure. current reading list? I'll share um, three books here that I'm reading. Uh, one is Love in the Void, Where God Finds Us. It's a collection of Simone Weil writings. Mm. And her writings on faith and doubt are just mm. so intriguing, but I'm new to her. So I wanted to start somewhere. Mm. Um, so I'm starting with, it's a small collection. And so far, I'm just, I'm really, really enjoying it and mm. learning a lot about her. Another one is Let Your Life Speak by Parker Palmer. Mm -hmm. um, this is a great book I try to reread re maybe once a year. It's all about listening to the voice of vocation. For me, it's largely just about understanding and respecting the spirit as a, a perpetual um, revelation of vocation, if that makes sense. Like yeah. this, this vocation is not a destination, but a, a perpetual living into the spirit. And then finally, I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness by Austin Channing Brown. This has been a great book. I think it's very, very important right now and very, very relevant uh, for our political climate and everything going on. And I just started this a few days ago. So uh, another, they're all kind of short reads, but I tend to start a book and read 10 pages and then start another one and then start a pile. That's right. So mm -hmm. that's, those are mine right now. Yeah. See, she sounds much more organized and put together than I am because I'm reading about 100 million <laughs> books. No joke. Let me say one, two, three, four. There is actually 32 books over there in a pile that I'm reading. That's like right here in front of me. And that's not even looking at my bookcase where I know there's stuff sitting over there. And there's it's a combination of uh, things just similar to Cassidy, books that I've read in the past that I need to kind of review for things I'm currently writing and looking into. But I am doing uh, some new stuff as well. It's really funny. This is I'm reading Henry David Thoreau. Um, civil Disobedience and Other Essays. I had read Civil Disobedience a long time ago, but I had this is a collection of other short essays that had been published in different magazines over the years. And, and it's, again, it's a short work. It's not very long, probably 100 pages total of all the different essays. And I'm reading right now, I'm going through, I'd heard of it before and I knew he had written it, but I had not read the essay called Walking. And, uh, and it's wonderful and it's, oh I, God. it's awesome. I love it. And I can tell it's going to be one of my favorites already. I'm only about halfway through, but yeah, so I'm reading, I'm reading that for the first time, which is funny. Um, there's this stuff that I just assumed I would have read a long time ago, but I never did. So I'm, I'm reading kind of some, some thorough essays. I'm also reading a book. Uh, hold on. What's the author? Ah, uh, yeah. Anthony Storr. I'm reading the book Solitude. That is that was I guess in the 1980s or something that came out or maybe it was 90s, and uh, again it's just a kind of a study of people who went off everything from hermits to artists to poets to introverts people who felt like they needed time alone in solitude, and he kind of goes through chapter by chapter talking about different people and kind of the gift of solitude what it offers for people and stuff like that, so uh, I'm reading that right now. And then I'm reading, again, I read a version of this book, but I've never read this version. It's been released a bunch of times, uh, The Gift by um, uh, Lewis Hyde. So that I've read a version of that before where it's, like, it's had different titles, but it's this about this idea of creativity, poetry, and the artist, art, artist life, living a life of 
giving gifts to the world, that artists don't uh, participate in capitalism. They participate in gift exchange, which is an ancient mm. tribal way of approaching and, and giving, exchanging value and getting value. And so, and I'm uh, reading a bunch of other stuff too, but those are the ones that are really grabbing my attention right now. Oh, and I'm rereading Saving the Appearances by uh, Owen Barfield. And if you've never read this book, he, Owen Barfield is one of the inklings that uh, mm-hmm. that a lot of people don't know about. They know of Tolkien. They know of C.S. Lewis. Uh, Barfield is one of the ones uh, also with, uh, who was the other guy? Charles Will- Williams? Charles Williams. Charles Williams, yes. Yeah. So uh, Owen Barfield is another one of these guys who uh, he was one of these philosopher types, and he writes about linguistics and philosophy and stuff. And the whole point of saving the appearances is about how consciousness changed uh, drastically historically, that we mm. in ancient times, the way we used to, when we used to live in the wilderness and in, before cities and civilizations— we we would have approached the world very differently. We know this from sociology, and we know this from anthropology. So that's what I'm reading. Sweet. So like you, I've got a stack, and if I went through the stack, we'd be here all day. But right. let, me, let me just pick, pick out a few very Haven't briefly. You, to just, you just grab a portion from the stack. I'm, I'm going to have to learn. I'm going to have to learn from Cassidy. Accumulate. Yeah. The, the, Add the, more the, to the stack. I, I'm still working my way through Devotions by Mary Oliver. It is it is just mm-hmm. such a brilliant book. Her, you know, it's it's kind of a career retrospective of her her selected poetry, and the stuff from early in her career is just as luminous as the stuff from late in her career. I mean, she's just you know, I'm in awe of Mary Oliver. The a book that that several people recommended to me, including a Methodist minister that I met this summer at one of the conferences I spoke at, it's called How to Change Your Mind: What the New Science of Psychedelics teaches us about consciousness, dying, addiction, depression, and transcendence by Michael Pollan, who, of course, is known for the Omnivore's omnivores Dilemma and, and other books like that. Right. And so, you know, I, I feel like I'm back in, you know, my undergraduate days when I was reading Carlos Castaneda and <laughs> Alan Watts and Timothy Leary and all of that kind of stuff. Although Timothy Leary does not fare well in Michael Pollan's book because he really says, that there was a lot of really legitimate research being done mm-hmm. with with LSD and with uh, psilocybin mm-hmm. and peyote and ayahuasca and those those kinds of uh, psychoactive chemicals, and then the whole Timothy Leary kind of you know we're going to turn on the youth of America and we're all going to drop out really hurt the mm-hmm. the legitimate research in psychedelics mm-hmm. and it literally took thirty to forty years for that research to come back, but it has come back. Right. And it's just very, very exciting what the research is, is showing. Of course, it's still early in the game, but it looks like that, that you know, when properly used and, and in proper settings, that psychedelics are, are a tremendous gift for people who struggle with depression, for people at end of life, especially if they're experiencing a lot of fear, people with terminal cancer diagnoses, uh, people dealing with with addiction, with trauma, yeah. those mm-hmm. kinds of things. So, so you know, obviously somebody, you know, one of the things about my interest in, in, in mysticism, obviously that is an interest in kind of the science of consciousness or the spirituality of consciousness. Well, mm-hmm. This is looking at the science of consciousness. And it just, you know, and of course the reality is, is that when you start talking about, about, entheogens, you're talking about a chemically induced 
quote unquote mystical experience. And, mm -hmm. and yes, we know experience is a dirty word, but the reality is, is that that's where these things take us. Right. And so it's just, I find it really exciting to see that kind of serious research being done. Kind of an interesting book to read side by side with that is Joel Harrington's book about Meister Eckhart called A Dangerous Mystic. Mm. And it's a biography of Eckhart, but it does go into Eckhart's teachings. But what was really helpful for me is that Harrington is a historian, and he does a wonderful job at talking about the religious and the political milieu right. of 13th to 14th century Germany. Right. And so situating Meister Eckhart, again, you know, this, this five-star medieval Christian mystic, situating him in his context and, and showing what forces led to his being accused of heresy, why it was that he was never formally condemned as a heretic, and, and, uh, and what the impact of his teachings has had on, obviously, on Catholicism and other branches of Christianity, but also certainly on mysticism seen in a global context. Really, really a wonderful book, and, and especially for those of us who are not not scholars of Eckhart, it really makes him come alive. So it's a book I would highly, highly recommend. And then the, the final book I just want to briefly mention is Daniel Horan's The Franciscan Heart of Thomas Merton. I'm, I'm directing a retreat for a group of secular Franciscans, and they are reading the book because I'm a lay Cistercian. They wanted to read a book that brought kind of Cistercian and Franciscan spirituality together. And I think this book is the book that addresses that topic. You know, I've been studying Merton now for over 30 years. I, I think, Cassidy, we were talking about this before we began recording, that you're a veteran kind of Merton fan, Merton scholar, and you felt like like he really did give a, a fresh perspective, and, and I felt the same way. It's it's a wonderful insight into Merton, even for somebody who's been reading Merton for a while. And yeah. so it's just, a, it's just a delightful book and, and one that I would certainly recommend. Anybody interested in Merton, anybody interested in Franciscan spirituality, Cistercian spirituality, or really just 20th century spirituality in general. So, so those are my books. So I have one more question, and I want us all to just answer it very, very briefly. And that is, I want us to each briefly tell our listeners, describe the T-shirt that we are wearing right now. So, Cassidy, you go first. What T-shirt do you have on? Yeah. I actually changed. Did you guys notice that? Do you yeah. know what I'm wearing? Yes. Um, I'm wearing the Fellowship of the Ride shirt, which was I got from my friend Matt LaFleur, and he uh -huh. was doing fundraising for Friedrich's Ataxia. Right. And Matt's, Matt was doing um, some bike rides to raise money for Friedrich's Ataxia, so... Um, it's, yeah, it's a great shirt too. What's, what's uh, funny is that I can only see the top of it. Oh yeah. And so I thought it was a, a, a Tolkien shirt. And since we were talking yeah. about Owen Barfield, <laughs> but, but that makes it even more, cause it looks like a fellowship of the ring. It's the same logo only it says yeah. ride. Instead yeah. Of looks like straight out of the Lord so, of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> but that's yeah. wonderful, especially because of that application of it. Kevin. Yeah. Well, you, I'm wearing I don't think I ever mentioned this on podcasting, but I, uh, I've been playing guitar since I was 12 years old, you know, sometimes better, uh, more intensely and more consistently. Uh, in the past, I used to do it a lot. Uh, it was something I considered doing professionally at one point. And now I just do it as a hobby here and there. And so I'm not perfectly in practice, but my shirt keeps me 
close because it's it says Fender on it, which is a brand of guitars and basses and stuff. So uh, I like Fenders and Gibsons. I like both. And uh, I just happen to be wearing a Fender shirt today. So I was going to say a brand that is one of the. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you mentioned the other one as yeah. well. So, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So and I just have on my obligatory Grateful Dead shirt. <laughs> I, it's kind of embarrassing to admit, but I believe in telling the truth. I bought this at a head shop in Nashville, Tennessee, <laughs> probably probably 30 years ago now. And I'm just happy I still fit into it. So I, it's been a long time since I've been in a head shop. And obviously it's been a long time since I've been at a Grateful Dead concert, but, but I still have on the shirt. So That's pretty go. funny. Okay, and real quick, uh, just one more thing about Friedrich Cataxia, that which our friend Matt has. Uh, it's a degenerative neuromuscular disorder, and if anybody wants to learn more about it or contribute to the funds for research, you can go to curefa.org and learn more. And actually, there's a little page there about Matt too, which is is fun to read about. So, yeah. And I'll be sure to add that link to our show notes as well. So. Uh, Please visit the show notes. We'll have links to all of the books that we mentioned today. And if I can talk my wife into it, we might even put a picture of one of her hand-painted silk scarves up. So Yes. Yeah, that's a good call. <laughs> you guys, so. I I feel like I just have to read Mary Oliver's The Summer Day Poem. Go it for it. us up here. Go for Perfect. it. Okay. Perfect. The Summer Day. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean. The one who has flung herself out of the grass. The one who is eating sugar out of my hand. Who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down. Who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I've been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Thank you for listening to the Encountering Silence podcast. If you enjoy our ongoing conversation about the beauty of silence and its meaning in our lives, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or at our website, EncounteringSilence.com. You can subscribe to our email list at our website. Connect with us on social media, on Twitter at Silence Podcast, or on Facebook at Encountering Silence. And please visit www.patreon.com slash Encountering Silence. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Encountering Silence to become a patron of this podcast. Your financial support will allow us to continue creating new episodes and spreading the message of how vital silence is to our social, spiritual, and physical well-being. Thank you.